Judge, do you mind being over there? I'll be wherever you put me. Oh, Thank sorry. You. Right there. That's okay. Right there. Okay. Good. Good morning. Thank you very much for coming. See if we get those doors in the back closed. That will help with the noise, and then we'll get started. Can I ask the volunteers in the back, please, to close the doors? Let's do that. Thank you. Very well. I appreciate it. Well, good morning. Uh, I'm Evan Smith. I'm the CEO and co-founder of the Texas Tribune. I'm elated to have you here for our second session of the day here at the uh, AT&T Conference Center Ballroom. And I'm pleased to be joined on stage by Judge Ken Starr, who spent six years as president of Baylor University in Waco, the 14th person to hold that title at the oldest continually operating university in Texas. The last two and a half of those years, he also served as Baylor's chancellor, focused on the university's influence around the nation and around the world. In addition to his administrative duties, he served on the faculty of the Baylor Law School as the Louise L. Morrison Chair of Constitutional Law. On May 26th of this year, following an external review of Baylor's institutional response to Title IX and related compliance issues, and against the backdrop of allegations that the university and its administrators failed to respond adequately to reports of sexual assault by multiple members of the football team, Judge Starr was removed as president. Several days later, he stepped down as chancellor. On August 19th, he resigned his post from the law school, completely severing his ties to Baylor. He may be gone from the university's campus, but you do not have to be an aficionado of the Rice University marching band <laughs> to know that the lingering effects of the series of events that led to his departure are visible and tangible, that his departure is not the end of the story. In a May statement, Judge Starr said he was, quote, eager to respond to questions about the matters that led to his removal. In June, Judge Starr told ESPN that more transparency related to the scandal was necessary. Quote, as each day goes by, that need becomes more and more pressing, he said. We have to be honest. That's Judge Starr. And so we look forward, Judge, to honesty and transparency today. Before arriving at Baylor in 2010, Judge Starr served for six years as the Duane and Kelly Roberts Dean and Professor of Law at Pepperdine University in California from 1994 to 1999, he was independent counsel for five investigations, including Whitewater. For the previous four years, he was the Solicitor General of the United States, during which time he argued 25 cases before the U.S. Supreme Court. Before that, he spent nearly six years as a judge on the U.S. Court of Appeals, D.C. Circuit appointed by President Ronald Reagan. Judge Starr is a native Texan. Born in Vernon and raised in San Antonio, he has a bachelor's degree from George Washington University a master's degree from Brown University, and a law degree from Duke University. Please join me in welcoming Judge Ken Starr. Thank you. Judge, thank you for being here. Thank you, Evan. Good to be with you. Judge, I want to begin by asking you why you're here. Um, of course, I know the answer as to why you're here, because <laughs> I asked. But I want to relay for the benefit of the people in the room the context for your being here, and then I want to ask you the question that people have asked me. So on the day that you separated from the university, I texted you, and I'm going to paraphrase what I said. I said, Judge, your story is going to be told. You can tell it or somebody else can tell it. I'd like to give you the opportunity to tell it. That's right, yes? Yes. And I said, I'd like you to come and do effectively an exit interview in which we talk about the matters that led up to your time at Baylor coming to an end and, and other matters as well. And, and you 
thought about it for a while and came back to me and said uh, that you would do it. I must say, Judge, that in the intervening time since we announced this session, any number of people I know and any number of people I don't know have come up to me and said, why the hell is he doing this? <laughs> so could you answer that question? What, do you, what are you here for? I know what I'm here for. I know where they're here for. What are you here for? I think it's important to focus on these incredibly sensitive and important cultural uh, issues. They're terribly important to higher education. Uh, we as a society uh, and as an industry are struggling yes. right now with these uh, issues. So I welcome uh, conversations right. and I have great respect uh, for you. So here we are. So here we are. Well then let's begin. I I'm going to ask you to uh, confirm what I've read and heard about the time frame in which you say you learned about the matters that are now familiar to us uh, that are, are plaguing, plagued and are plaguing uh, Baylor University. On May 26th, in a statement, you said, quote, it must be known that I was not privy to any of the allegations regarding interpersonal violence until fall of 2015. That's correct. I need to clarify and even correct uh, the, the record. These are your, uh, your, your words know, from your I statement, Judge. I, right. I, I, I recognize that. Uh, we began focusing on issues of sexual violence uh, in the fall of 2010. Uh, you had arrived in, in June, June of 2010. June, June 1 of, 20, of 2010. Right. But the context was not what I'm calling here is an allegation of, of interpersonal violence or the, the, the public record. What I was trying to say and what I'm saying here today is that from the very beginning, we focused on issues of campus safety. But in my various interactions, no one had brought to me, to me, a specific question of the handling of Title IX uh, matters. There had been uh, uh, issues uh, with uh, student athletes, and yep. obviously those were in the, in the public domain. But I'm trying to bring to me here is an issue other than that that's, uh, that's in the public domain and the public prosecutor's so office. So when you say you were not privy or said in that statement, when you then go on ESPN two days later and you say, quote, my greatest regret is lack of knowledge. I assume you mean lack of knowledge of the endemic situation at Baylor because we would have dealt with it. Or you said again to ESPN, quote, it really hasn't been to my knowledge until August 2015 that there were uh, reports of underlying issues. That would suggest to me that you found out about whether it's the general problem of sexual violence on campus and the fact that there may be some student athletes involved in some of these uh, incidents, or the specific cases of, say, Tevin Elliott, or uh, Sam Okawachu. Those were the two, up to that point, that were most uh, uh, pr prominent and, and prevalent. Right. Did you know about those specific cases? Did yes. you know about the endemic problem? Well, first of all, I'm going to resist the issue uh, or the characterization that there was an endemic problem. What I learned about- How many would have to uh, amount, uh, my understanding is that there were at least six and possibly as many as nine incidents we're talking about over the time that you've been president. What would qualify as endemic? I wouldn't put a number on it. I would put a cultural question. Is there in fact a cultural insensitivity to issues of interpersonal violence? And that was not the case at Baylor and still is not the case at Baylor. Very briefly, yes. in 2010 when the uh, Office of Civil Rights <clears throat> 
of the Department of Education issued a report coming out of Eastern Michigan University. There was a death on campus. It was an on-campus in a residence hall death. It had occurred several years before. We discussed that around what I call the round table. It's physically a round table, the executive uh, council. And we said we need to focus on issues of interpersonal violence, campus safety. Yep. I launched a committee uh, dominated by students to focus on these uh, issues generally. And again, the time frame of this is? To, uh, late 2010, we actually launched that in uh, January 2011. Okay. I personally appeared, the archives, uh, as I've now gone back to look at what all were we doing, I knew that we had been, been active, uh, show that there was a high level of activity in focusing on the general issue of campus safety. Uh, but specific kinds of uh, uh, questions or allegations other than, than when you had a public prosecution or the like were not coming up in my meetings with, uh, with student leaders. Uh, that has been confirmed, just anecdotally, that this was not the whole issue. It was more a general mind. topic than specific cases. It was part of yeah. a general issue of are our students safe on, on campus and, right. and off campus right. as well. Because under Title IX, part of the frustration that we have, Evan, in a higher education is that so many of these episodes, indeed all of the episodes of Node, in my own experience, occurred off campus. They're off campus. Right. They're not university sponsored. Uh, yet Title IX says that we are, as interpreted by the Office of Civil Rights, right. that we have that responsibility. Well, that in fact, they do, the feds do not differentiate between things that happen off campus and things that happen on. They say that if a student is involved, you are responsible ultimately for dealing with it. And think of the implications of that. How do you do that? How do you police that? And we spent lots of time talking about that. Right. The, the key is issues of prevention, but we, we right. have the archives of the university, which I've reviewed, uh, yeah. show that this was, in fact, a continuing conversation, uh, a continuing issue of concern of overall campus uh, safety. But what I w was saying then and saying now, in my various and sundry meetings with, and I met regularly with the student body leaders, I would appear before the student senate, these issues of uh, interpersonal violence, as we call them, uh, or sexual harassment. Uh, sexual violence is a subcategory uh, under the OCR analysis. So when I refer to interpersonal violence, I'm using OCR terminology. Uh, just had not had not been raised, had not been right. brought to my Spe attention. Spe specific cases. Yeah. Specific. Yeah. Well, so let's, in the spirit, again, never do this to a yeah. prosecutor, but in the spirit of what did you know and when did you know it? Uh, let me ask you then about the timetable as it overlays with what you've just said. So you arrive at Baylor in June of 2010. You're named in February of 2010. You arrive in June of 2010. Tevin Elliott, who is the first of the student athletes whose incidents have become part of this conversation, he actually comes to Baylor the previous summer in August of 2009. In April of 2012, April 28th, he is suspended from the Baylor football team. A few days before he is arrested on charges of sexually uh, assaulting a woman at a party. The assault had happened on 415. He's he is suspended from the team on 428. He's arrested on 5-1. He is indicted on August 28th. And by this point, he's transferred to Central Arkansas. Right. Everything I've just mentioned, the arrest, the indictment, and all that, all of that, news of that, appears in both the Baylor Lariat right. 
and the Waco Tribune Herald. Waco is not a teeming metropolis. <laughs> and you're the president of a university, and you're a smart guy, Judge, I know, and you pay a lot of attention, Judge, I know. It's inconceivable to some, and to me, that the Tevin Elliott matter is in the papers, the Tevin Elliott matter is as serious as it is, and you don't know about it. No, I knew, I knew about that. You did know about it? Yes, of course I knew about that. So when you say in 2015 that if only we had known, you were actually not saying you did not know about the Elliott matter. That's exactly right. I did, I did know about the Elliott matter. What I was trying to say, and what I would say right here is, not, is that these issues were not being brought to us as a question of policy. Bad things are going to happen at any university. Right. And so there was nothing other than this was a terrible, terrible tragedy and a crime, right. uh, but that it was not something that raised a policy question that we weren't, frankly, already focusing on. So now let me be a little bit more uh, specific. <clears throat> what was being brought to me uh, much more belatedly, shall I say, was what I would call the failure of our first responders. This I was totally unaware of. And who are the first responders? Both the police and then uh, our counseling center. There were issues that I became aware of <clears throat> with respect to our lack of sensitivity, our lack of care, lack of concern. That's what I'm trying inartfully to say. Right, so, so knew the facts, but was not aware that the response was not up to what was deserved yeah. or what was warranted. Uh, did you know about Sam Okuwachu's history at Boise before he arrived at Baylor? Were you no. even aware of him <clears throat> uh, coming to campus? No. So for the benefit of people in the room who don't know, Mr. Okuwachu came from Boise to Baylor. He transferred to Baylor uh, in May of 2013. He had been dismissed from the Boise team, come out subsequently that there was an accusation that he had assaulted somebody when he was at Boise and had been dismissed from Boise. And there was a question as to whether Baylor athletics officials knew when they accepted him as a transfer and brought him onto the team that he had had this history. First, Coach Bryle said he did not know. Uh, then the Boise coach actually told ESPN that he had specifically had a conversation with Coach Bryles in which he said this. No, you're wrong. Well, that's what the ESPN, ESPN reported. E and, and ESPN was wrong. And a grave injustice was done. If you check the records, this is now all in the public domain. Yes. Sam Ukawachu was not dismissed because of any act of violence whatsoever. In fact, as part of our regular procedures at Baylor, consistent with NCAA policy, we received at the time a form that, from Boise State that said he is eligible for returning. Yes. And that's key. Is he eligible for readmission? Moreover, Coach Peterson did not say, has never been quoted as saying, that I told Coach Bryles about, quote, violence. There was no such conversation. There was a conversation. When we but, but ESPN has reported that. You know that. And they took it down. And they've taken it down. They took it down because it was a terrible injustice to Art Bryles. I think it's also an injustice to Coach Peterson now at the University of Washington. I just don't think, Evan, stepping back, common sense, would one head coach say to another, please take a violent person off my hands? It just is not going to so happen. So then the university's position with regard to Mr. Ukawachu is we did not know. We did not know of, of anything that would have caused us to be wary of taking him onto the team. Correct. In fact, to the contrary, all of the indications were that Sam was depressed. Uh, he's from Houston. Yep. Uh, he should have stayed closer to home. 
He's first generation, uh, a, a wonderful Nigerian-American family, uh, and he was uh, very unhappy. But the reason that he was dismissed, he wasn't dismissed from the university, he was dismissed from the team, from the team. for violation of team rules. And what was this violation of team rules? It had nothing to do with violence. Right. So it had to do late for practice, et cetera. So when Mr. Kuwachu then later is accused of assaulting a woman in October of 2013, he's ultimately, uh, case goes to the McLennan County uh, attorney in early uh, 2014. He's then indicted in June. He's convicted in, he's arrested, he's indicted in June, arrested in July, and convicted in August of 2015, which is when the world becomes aware of those issues. This was not a case where the university feels like there were signs we should have seen. Right. Correct? That's correct. Um, you and and yeah. I, I just want to reiterate, yes. because we were watching uh, in, uh, in our offices the yeah. ESPN run, and it was saying that Coach Peterson told Coach Biles about, and they used the, the word violent. Yes. Our press people were calling and said, that is simply not true. You're now on notice that what you were saying is absolutely false. Right. And they took him down. So, and Coach Peterson. But by that time, yeah. and Coach Peterson's come back around and, and and verified what you say and ESPN got wrong. That I don't know. So you don't know if Coach Peterson has come up and objected to what ESPN said as well. We tried to get the University of Washington. He had moved, moved. To, to 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 clarify the statement right. because all the statement said is I told Coach Bryles uh, fully. I briefed him fully. I mean, he used a capacious word. Uh, and so an inference was drawn by ESPN, by SportsCenter, that was absolutely false. But you say it was false. False. Right, and right. I, I want this record to show right. Coach Bryles has been calumnied because of that, and it's completely unfair. Unfair. Um, you know, uh, Judge, that uh, you put up a blank screen, people tend to project on it their worst thoughts. Right. You understand this. As it relates to the question of your knowledge and the knowledge of the administrators at Baylor, there are typically three, or I think, understandably, three narratives that potentially are suggested for what happened here. One is that you simply did not know about what was going on to the degree that you and others might have needed to to deal with it, and the Pepper Hamilton report took the university significantly to task uh, for its response. A second is that you did know but chose not to do anything about it, and a third is that you did know and you wanted to do something about it, but that somebody kept you from doing something about it, that handcuffed you in your ability, that you desired to do something more proactive, more aggressive, but you were told basically pump the brakes. It is the first. It is uh, indeed the first. So at no and time were you guided by regents or anybody else to lay off the athletic department, lay off the football team. Absolutely not. Uh, moreover, uh, this goes back to is an issue episodic? Is it going to happen? It's horrible. It's tragic. It may be a crime. Uh, is it something that suggests that there is a, quote, cultural issue? Yeah. And I mean by that a coaching staff that is turning a blind eye, or is this somehow in an indirect way, much less direct way, encouraging an unhealthy culture? I have great confidence to this day in Coach Bryles. I believe he's an honorable person who served as a high school football coach with an unblemished record yeah. for many, many years. Uh, ditto with respect at the University of Houston, unblemished record. Ditto with respect to uh, to Baylor University, uh, and you think he got a raw deal here? Yes, Coach Bryles. I think I don't want to criticize anyone. I'm not privy. Let, let me also just say, as odd as it may seem, I'm not privy to all the facts, because the Pepper Hamilton work was done 
for a special committee of the Board of Regents and then for the Board of Regents. That was my recommendation, that when these issues emerged, yep. uh, as flagged by the Texas Monthly on August the 20th and Sam's trial was underway, I said, there are allegations here that there's a cultural problem. What do we do with this? And that's what I'm saying. This is when the allegation right. that there is really something wrong uh, yeah. in Denmark. So I called and I alerted the Board of Regents that I first thought that we should have, and we did, an internal inquiry. That's what I called it. And this so is in August of 2015? August, we acted immediately. Right. And uh, a very able member of the faculty who, under NCAA rules, has independent authority, has no relationship in terms of reporting responsibility to the athletics department, did a report and said, I recommend that you have an external inquiry to come in. I think there's enough here that you need to look right. at. And so I accepted that immediately, and so I reported that to the board. The board accepted that. So I think the board behaved very appropriately, responsibly, and frankly, so did the administration. We acted very promptly to say, let's get to the bottom of this matter. And then the Pepper Hamilton folks from Philadelphia came in. But they reported structurally, not to the administration. After all, we were the subjects right. uh, of the investigation. Wouldn't be independent then, would it? Correct. Right, but they reported to a committee, and at that point the decision was made both on Coach Bryles and on yourself um, by people above you in the chain of command, but you believe still to this day Coach Bryles got a raw deal. I believe that Coach Bryles is an honorable man and who conducted an honorable program, and I simply don't know all the facts. That's my opinion. Right, well, we'll, come to, the, we'll come to the Pepper Hamilton know. report and what they said specifically. Did you get a raw deal, Coach? I mean, both of you said a version Hey, of that's a great compliment. What? Coach. Oh, a, a ju judge, right, judge. <laughs> no, judge, I'll... did you get, well, maybe you'll be a coach at some point. Uh, ju judge, did you get a raw deal? I'm not going to say that because I have the greatest respect for the Board of Regents. Uh, they had information, but here, here this is very important yep. in terms of just questions of personal integrity. I was not fired for cause. They honored my contract. So it was a decision that we need someone else it's the board's determination. Yep. Uh, but it would be, if there's a question of integrity, you fire the person for cause. Our Browns is not fired for cause. That's key. And I think in fairness to the Coach Bryles, I mean, I'm 70 years old and I have a profession and so forth. Coach Bryles is an honorable, decent man who has devoted his life to helping mold and shape young men. ESPN can mock that all that they want, but they have done a grave and grievous unfairness. Characterized, to him, characterized him unfairly. Totally unfairly. All this. And, 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 yeah. the, and the mainstream media has picked that up. So for, for me, I march on. I may be practicing law. I've written a book, <laughs> which uh, will be out. May I announce that? No, please. I will have a book uh, on my experience at Baylor. And will it include uh, aspects of what we're talking yes. about today? Yes. 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 How soon will that book be out? As soon as my agent in uh, Southern California uh, likes it very much, uh, and he's going to get it out as quickly as possible. Got it. Um, let me come back to this, but, but just, just one last bit on your uh, departure from the job as president of Baylor, which you say, again, not for cause. The phrase you used was, the captain goes down with the ship. Yeah. So is that a sign that you recognize in an institution or in an organization if there's trouble afoot, whether or not the person at the top is responsible, they've got to take responsibility? Or is it an acknowledgment of culpability in some way? The former. 
Uh, and what I was actually doing is respecting, as I've tried to do, the authority of the Board of Regents. Right. Uh, I served at their pleasure. I had a contract, and they've honored the contract, uh, but it's their pleasure. Right. They want someone else to, to run it, and so if they felt, if they accepted the proposition that there was a fundamental failure, then the captain should go down with the ship. That was the way I put it. Now, people have criticized me. Baylor folks have said, why did you say that? And I said, well, I found it was a metaphor that seemed apt under the circumstances. Right. Uh, back, if you would, uh, Judge, to this question of um, the football program. Um, many have said in looking at this story that the simplest explanation is that the culture of the school elevated football above all else. That if you want to understand what happened here, it's that if there were people who looked the other way, if there were policies that were not implemented the way they were supposed to be, quickly enough or at all, it was because people tended to default on the side of, we're now a football school. Since our trials got here, we're on the map. We don't want to disrupt that. It's great for a whole bunch of reasons related to the university, and so we want to avoid that. The Waco Tribune had a story within the last week or so in which they talked about relationships between members of the athletic department and members of the board of regents that there were athletic department employees, coaches, and others who had a direct line into regents. And there was a suggestion that coaches were contacting board members on an occasional basis, and even that regents were collaborating with coaches regarding the communication that coaches and athletic department staff members had with administrators. I assume that's you. So no, it would be with the athletic director. Well, no, but I'm, but I'm, so you don't, you don't think that there was if, a situation in which the athletic department true. was possibly circumventing the leadership of the university by going directly to the regions to deal with them on matters? I don't know that. You know nothing about that? I don't know that, because again, that part of the Pepper Hamilton report to the board, I was not privy to at all, and, and right. don't have it to this day. Let, let me say something about the Pepper Hamilton report. Yes. Because there's no report. Right. So we're dealing with uh, a situation an that is and So people know an executive summary, essentially, right, has been released. A summary of their findings. But there's not, no, no there's, but not by Pepper Hamilton. But not by Pepper Hamilton. See, the, here's the way that the industry ordinarily works. And this is what, frankly, was contemplated at the outset. Yes. That there would be a report. There would be, of course, protection of confidentiality, right. privacy protections for... Uh, any uh, student, um, you know, especially the, the victims of interpersonal violence. Uh, and that's required by federal law, and rightly so. Right. And just common sense and common decency tells you that. So if one goes, and this has been publicly reported to the uh, Pepper Hamilton website, but you're going to do and it. And Pepper just Hamilton like, is a Philadelphia law firm that has been engaged to do these kinds of investigations You'll see they, elsewhere. Exactly. Excuse my interruption. Yeah, no, that's right. That they... Uh, produce reports. Right. And so I looked at the Occidental College report because these issues emerge from time to time and colleges and universities need to respond in an, in an appropriate way. That's what we do not have to this, to this day. So the Waco Trib continues to be reporting uh, just day before yesterday. And I think Waco Tribune Herald folks uh, are here. Bill Whitaker, the, the uh, opinion age editor, uh, 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 opinion page editor. Uh, is, is, I think, perhaps even in the audience. Uh, my point is, additional fact-finding is going on, or investigative reporting. And I'm learning things. I'm learning things from KWX 
KWTX television, which has had some very interesting reports telling me things I did but not know. But you did not yourself know. Correct. Uh, and again, with regard to the Pepper Hamilton report, which was a pretty harsh, I mean, again, what we know of it, what has been released, the findings, pretty hard on the university, on the culture of the university, on what administrators and the athletic department did. Uh, there are a lot of people who've said that there should be more stuff released. You yourself have actually suggested. Yes, we need, we need to, that, that was, at the fundamental core of my who, resigning. Who is, who is responsible for it not being released? Well, it's a decision of the Board of Regents. Yeah, and you, dis and you disagree with the decision. And that was part of the reason for my resigning from, I was fired as president, but yeah. I remained as chancellor of the university. I then resigned on June 1 as chancellor of the university as a matter of conscience. And you, and did, that, you that, did that because they would not allow the that, full report to be seen? That was, that was part of the reason. There were other reasons as well, including, as I've said publicly in a Tribune-Herald uh, extensive uh, interview, that we were simply not able to come to terms, having nothing to do with compensation, the terms and conditions of what the role of the chancellor or whatever that function would be called would be. Right. Now this week, the Dallas Morning News itself editorialized. I mean, the matter is obviously not closed. This is the Dallas Morning News editorial specifically related to the release of the Pepper Hamilton report. Regents continue to offer no convincing reason why they can't provide information showing the correct people have been held accountable. From their perspective, the issue is not that we need transparency for general reasons. It's that specifically they question whether the right people were held accountable for the matters identified in the Pepper Hamilton report. Are you concerned? that people who should have been held accountable on campus have not been held accountable. I'm not going to comment on that. Why not, Judge? On that, I think I, I don't know enough of the facts, and I don't want, I, I, I have a lingering concern as long as we don't know the facts, and I'm not going to opine, uh, even by implication, Right. unless I know all the yeah. facts. But you understand, Judge, this is a little bit like a murder case where the police <laughs> think they have the right person and there may be the person who actually committed the crime walking among us. It seems to me that somebody who's committed to the law, as you have been for your career, would be absolutely adamant that the right person is punished. I have been very clear that we need to have all the facts. I don't want to start accusing people until we have all the facts. First things first. John Adams said to the Boston jury, facts are flinty things. And I think that's part of Right. The, the call that, that we're hearing, not just editorially, but people within Baylor Nation, I think that's why the investigative reporting is still underway and right. so forth. And Baylor is such a good place. It is such a, and it's a very happy place. Voted again by the faculty and staff this last year in the middle of the unpleasantness, best college to work for. We're a very happy place. Look at our entering class. You might say, well, people right. are not going there. It's a very large class, second largest class in history. 35% right. of folks from out of state set another record. The point is there's this meta-narrative out there, and you are echoing, which is your job, the meta-narrative. And then there's the reality uh, on and around campus and within Baylor Nation. So the frustration is we well, just don't know all the and, facts. And let, and let us stipulate that until this set of matters was out in the public and on the table, generally speaking, the tenure that you had at Baylor, I mean, it's just a little bit like, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? <laughs> I acknowledge that. But let us stipulate that your time at Baylor, but for this, was generally regarded as a time where the school was, was on the ascent. I want to ask about, uh, about Title IX specifically. It's come up a couple times. So again, um, time frame, timetable. 
when you arrived as the president of Baylor in 2010, the federal, the dear colleague requirements that the feds put into place were not actually in place. Right. In June of 2010. But and by April, the way, those are not requirements. They're, they're de it's more of a... It's guidance. Guidance. Dear colleague. And, and a number of law professors around the country, including at Harvard and Stanford, have sharply criticized right. OCR for seeking to, through the back door, to impose requirements. And to tie federal funds to those requirements. Exactly. Right. And, and uh, I believe that that is, I'm just going to go ahead and say it, I think that it is an abuse of power, an abuse of authority, uh, and that is not just my opinion, it's the opinion of very thoughtful people. Right. Ask the Alan Dershowitz of the Harvard Law School. Right. This is just not right. Well, and you're answering a question possibly that I'm going to ask as to what happened, because here's the sequence. So April of 2011, the directive, and I'm going to put that in quotes because as you point Thank out you. correctly, it's not a rule. The directive from the feds requiring, in quotes, schools receiving federal funds to have Title IX coordinators, to have a Title IX coordinator, and to publish grievance procedures for sexual assault and violence. That is when those guidances, or that guidance comes into effect, April of 2011. It was found later by the Pepper Hamilton report, and it seems evident from the facts, that Baylor did not implement those requirements or hire a dedicated Title IX coordinator for three and a half years. Wrong. Okay, I have. That a, is absolutely wrong. What, what did you do, sir? November, four, no, November 2014 is not when you began to implement. Correct. We had a Title IX activity. We had, in fact, I recall three different coordinators. I think the misunderstanding, and it is a misunderstanding, it, it was only in 2015 that OCR said you should have a full-time dedicated... De de well, that's what I said. I said dedic dedicated coordinator. Okay. Dedicated right. coordinator. That's, that's, that's the key. We right. had a dedicated full-time coordinator in November of 2014. Yes. We were ahead of OCR. And Patty Crawford... So you were not obligated, to clear about this, you were not obligated to have a dedicated coordinator until 2015. So from your perspective, you actually were a little early on that. We were, we, we were early, yes. and I want to make one other point. And I think there's a broad misunderstanding, including within the Baylor family, that we had not designated a Title IX coordinator. We did, in compliance with the law. I can name three, three of them in succession before a consultant came in at our request, based upon all of the work that I've been describing previously, beginning with the student uh, panel, which ripened into a university-wide panel, on student safety generally, including Title IX. Margolis Healy, a very fine consultant, came in. I met with them, and they said, we think that the evolution is moving toward a full-time Title IX coordinator. You've got a Title IX function. It's running, right. but we think you should move in that direction. So we were months ahead of OCR, and yet I've read in the paper, well, you did not have a Title IX coordinator in place until what you just said. November 2014. We were in compliance with the law, so once again, it is an But untruth. of course, the Pepper Hamilton, but Judge, the Pepper, and I'll come to the Pepper Hamilton report in a second. The Pepper Hamilton report basically says, look, among the many things that we find lacking at Baylor is that Baylor's, uh, I'll read you the quote, Baylor's efforts to implement Title IX were slow, ad hoc, and hindered by a lack of institutional support and engagement by senior leadership. The university's student conduct processes were wholly inadequate to consistently provide a prompt and equitable response under Title IX. Don't take my word for it. Take their word for and it. They're suggesting that your Title IX efforts were insufficient to the test. And I have a fundamentally different perspective. Disagreement. So just for the record, because again, this, you know, people fan fiction. People make stuff up to fill in what they don't know to be true. 
You don't have a problem with Title IX, personally. Oh, I love Title IX. Title IX has been an instrument of great, great reform and has historically been used to bring about gender equity yeah. in athletics. And so when you look at the numbers, the numbers are really off the charts in terms of the number of opportunities for women student athletes. And yeah. I've seen that personally at Baylor. Uh, our equestrian program is a tribute to Title IX. So I'm a big supporter of Title IX. What we are now wrestling with, and I think now what you're seeing in litigation, including a recent decision by the Second Circuit Court of Appeals, is the pendulum has swung much too far in one direction, driven, I believe, by, by OCR. Yeah. The, a unanimous opinion of the Court of Appeals in a Columbia University case sharply criticized the procedures being used by Columbia University. This is a very fine, respected yeah. university that were so tilted in favor of the complainant, the victim, the survivor, as we call that, 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 that person. So I think a huge conversation is underway, yep. and the Pepper Hamilton report, which I'm not going to criticize, but I'm just gonna say, I, and it's not a report, I disagree with the sense that there was a fundamental failure. Right. Now, let me be very clear. Yes. There were areas where I've said, absolutely, our first responders, I mentioned right. that before, what I have since learned with respect to those who first dealt with, with victims uh, was uh, just completely insufficient. So, so, let's, so, so let's go to that. But before we do, since you've said it now, I want to be sure I understand you. Did you speak up? You object to, I understand you object to the OCR's or, or, uh, imposing of these, imposition of these uh, requirements. Did you, between April of 2011, and you picked the time, November of 2014, did you speak up? Did you go out as, I mean, you're not just any college president, you're Ken Starr. And Baylor is not just any university, you're Baylor. If you get up in front of a bank of microphones and you say, I find this to be, I mean, look, nobody in Texas has a problem smack talking the federal government. That's <laughs> like on the, our coat of arms. We hate the federal government. So the idea that you would somehow be out of sync with the culture of the state, people would be cheering you for doing this. Did you at any point in those two and a half years say publicly, I object to the federal government? I did not, and one of the reasons is we were trying faithfully to comply with everything that we, and it's been a work in progress. That is to say, we now see in 2016 yep. the evolution and how the pendulum has in fact swung. I, I did have concerns when I heard about under the uh, April 4, 2011 uh, Dear Colleague letter, the embrace of a preponderance of the evidence standard. I read that very carefully. It's a 16 or 17 page letter. And the analysis persuaded me that it was okay. I think it's not okay. Persuaded me it was okay because it said Title IX should have the same standard as Title VII of the, of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 uh, enforced by the EEOC. I said, well, may, maybe that's right. And so I think we've, we've been experimenting now, all of higher education, with this preponderance of the evidence standard, which now that we see it in play, uh, I think increased concerns are being expressed, including, once again, by very thoughtful observers, law professors around the country, uh, including those who are ACLU-type right. lawyers. It's a, it's a, are a diverse group. A very diverse group. So it's not an ideological thing. It, is, it has right. to do with fundamental fairness to everyone concerned. And by the way, that's one of the things, Evan, when you read that April 4, 2011 letter, it says equitable. It's got to be equitable for yeah. everyone concerned. 
And it has become so complex. Here's the situation that I found myself in those waning months at, at, at Baylor. I'll be very, very brief on this. But I was astonished that we said, the cases are so complicated and are so difficult and so sensitive, we're going to be bringing in retired Supreme Court justices from Iowa and, and Pennsylvania. So they had no ties to Baylor whatsoever. Right. I viewed that as, ex it's obviously Do you an think that's an, over, an overcorrection? I think all of higher education has been engaged in this overcorrection because, to be honest, it's a question, Evan, of institutional capacity. I am now very doubtful whether there can, in fact, be a full and fair adjudication of these particular kinds of issues under right. Title IX by the universities. Um, we're going to go to questions shortly. Uh, we'll have microphones, I'm told, in the aisles. We'll ask you to get up behind those microphones. We'll ask you to ask questions, not make speeches. And we'll ask you to be respectful, re be respectful to our uh, uh, guest today and ask a hard question, but let's give them an opportunity to answer and we'll end at about 10 till. But before we <clears throat> go to questions, Judge, because you have said on a number of occasions that you disagree fundamentally with some of what was uh, uh, emerged from the Pepper Hamilton investigation, let's not call it a report, I want to give you an opportunity to tick off a couple of things and ask you about your perspective on that. We mentioned already their uh, suggestion that somehow Baylor had failed to implement Title uh, IX on an adequate timetable, that the response was ad hoc and all that. And I mentioned also that the student conduct processes, they said, were inadequate to the task. Um, Pepper Hamilton also said that you failed to consistently support complainants. And in fact, they specifically cite a case in which there was a, what amounted to a an act of retaliation, they suggest, against a complainant. Would you comment on that? I don't know the facts of that. Uh, I do think that our uh, adjudicatory procedures were uh, inadequate. Uh, I don't think that constitutes a, quote, fundamental failure. I think there were improvements that could be made. You think it was but, a bug, not a feature? You don't think that it was something yeah. that was across the whole system? No, not, a, not at all. I do think we had inadequate training uh, yeah. for our first respondents, uh, responders, especially, uh, especially the police. What I now know is yeah. there should have been more training for them. So I agree right. with so some the, of so the So and training in the sense of proactivity yeah, before, uh, before things occur. Yeah, bef exactly. So that in, when a, a victim or survivor comes in, that typically it's she, in 94% of the cases, it's a she, it's a woman, come in, that she will be treated with dignity and respect, and, but also just sensitivity to the circumstances. Uh, I was very disappointed that, uh, to learn uh, that we had not done that in some cases. Right. I'm not saying that it was systemic, but there were some cases well, that so, came so, to my attention. I mean, to the degree that you consider anything that Pepper Hamilton says is an allegation that it's systemic. What they're saying is universities failed to identify, uh, pardon me, failed to take action to identify and eliminate a potential hostile environment. I disagree with that totally. Let you me, do. And, and Spe let me say, speak to that. Okay, Good. once again, the history shows we had the Student Committee on Safety, which ripened into a university wide committee on yes. student safety, which then said, let's take a comprehensive outside look at that. We did that in 2014. Morgolis Healy comes in, and then we do the Title IX process. We also were training our police. We had a changing of the guard uh, in, the, pol in the, uh, the police in 2014. Yeah. We had a lot of things underway. In fact, if Patty Crawford, our Title, Title IX, IX coordinator, were here, and she's been quoted as saying, we are ahead of the curve. We are ahead of the curve yeah. of what universities are. So I think there's just a narrative that has not, frankly, been cross-examined. That would be very helpful, wouldn't it? Yeah. 
here, and again, that would, that would require more disclosure. You could not cross-examine it if you cannot disclose. And I think that's what uh, the, right. the TRIB is doing. I think that's what uh, KWTX is well, doing. Well, and the fact is the Dallas Morning News I thought was interesting. They went to the unusual step on the editorial page of not only saying we think that the regions need to disclose more, but they also published a list of the regions. And they said implicitly or explicitly, here are the people who are keeping disclosure from happening with the idea that maybe people should be contacting those people. Would you encourage people to contact the regions? No, listen, I, I want to say this. A lot of the regions are, are my friends. Uh, they fired me, uh, but uh, they continue to be my friends because they were making their judgment. What is in the best interest of this university? And so we need the changing of, uh, of the guard. And I completely respect that. So I don't want them to be hassled and so forth. They've come to their judgment. I just, of course, but you just disagree. disagree. You happen I to disagree, disagree with the judgment. Very and, good. And that's why I resigned as a matter of conscience from the chancellorship. Let me ask you one more question. You know, the moderator gets a free one, right? That's how this goes. So 20 years. What has it been thus far? Well, it's been. <laughs> but it, it, has been it has been like Christmas journalistically, Judge. I would agree with you. Um, um, I got a lump of coal. No, well. It's a nice lump. It's a nice lump, though. It's a good lump. <laughs> I gave you my best lump. It was the lump I was going to give Senator Cruz until yesterday. Now I'm giving it to you. Um, Judge, 20 years ago, you were investigating the Clintons. And you were investigating the Clintons being in the White House. We're looking ahead a couple of months to a time when the Clintons could be back in the White House. How's that sit with you? Happily, I'm blissfully out of politics completely. And, 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 and let me explain yeah. why. Uh, at Baylor, because of this background of the controversial, wildly so, investigation yeah. of uh, the President and the First Lady, uh, I assiduously avoided any kind, even the slightest appearance of political activity. I had actually done that at Pepperdine as well. Sure, right. So I've been in higher education for 12 years. I'm right now concentrating, dealing with Capitol Hill, trying to get amendments passed to the International Religious Freedom Act of 1998. The last thing I want to do is right. to be in any way involved in the, other than voting. Right. But happily, we have the Australian ballot, which is the secret ballot, so I get, I get to vote. So but if I, I ask gonna, you who you're going to vote for, like Governor Kasich last night, you're going to shoo me off. Is that it? You're not going to I'm just going to say it's a secret uh, ballot. Secret but ballot. I, I also say right now, yeah. I think that right now, and thank you for hosting uh, all this, this is very, very important because we now see this election is a rather unusual election. I would say the so. The process yeah. has resulted in what it's resulted in. So I think the nation is going to be listening in a very, very intense way. I think they are. I certainly will be. Yeah. I'll be in Australia, but I'm going to be following very closely what's said in the, in the debates because there is, I will say right. this, there's been much too much yelling and acrimony and name calling yeah. all the way around. Uh, it's cheapening our life, it's coarsening our life as a polity, and I want folks to be focusing on issues. And, and to those who say somewhat um, uncharitably that your recent unpleasantness is in <laughs> essence payback for 20 years ago, that you're being hoist on your own petard, Cotton Mather is getting his, <laughs> you say what? I say, welcome to a free country where you can be entitled to the harshest uh, kinds of uh, opinions. Uh, it's an apple, an, an or uh, orange. Um, I was called upon to do an investigation which was wildly controversial, but nonetheless yeah. was with integrity. And a lot of people, unfortunately, um, were caught up 
uh, in all phases of the investigation. A sitting governor of Arkansas was convicted. The president and the first lady's partners at Madison Guarantee Savings and Loan were convicted by a federal jury of serious uh, crimes. Others, including the Associate Attorney General of the United States, pled guilty to serious federal crimes. So it was a very unfortunate, unhappy uh, phase of, of, of our history. And that, was, of course, was just the Arkansas phase. So I'm glad that's all over. And what's happened uh, at Baylor has absolutely, absolutely no nothing to do with it. Because I was asked to remain uh, right. as, as a senior officer of the university, and I lament the fact that I felt, as a matter of conscience, that I couldn't serve because I love Baylor University. And you, do, and you don't regret the decision to move away as chancellor? No. Do I regret I, I would still make the same decision, but right. I regret that I'm no longer serving a Baylor in a direct capacity, but I'm a huge Baylor cheerleader. Got it. Let's take questions. Uh, I'm looking around. First one there, we'll go side to side, and as I'll just tell you right now, we have a certain amount of time. We have no more time than that. We have a session following this one, and if I have to end before everybody lined up gets to ask questions, you'll have my apologies. Ma'am. Hi, Judge Starr. My name is Jessica Luther. I'm a freelance reporter, but I also am known for writing for Texas Monthly. I published a piece in August of 2015 about Baylor with my colleague, Dan Solomon. I have two quick questions. Uh, first, we know that, that the point that Tevin Elliott was arrested for sexual assault, that up to six people at Baylor had reported about that, according to ESPN. Um, at any point before his arrest, did you meet with him in your office? No. And my second question is, what was your input or role into crafting the Title IX policy that went into effect on August 20th, 2015? So just to be sure everybody heard, your answer to the first question, did you meet with Tevin Elliott, was no. no. The answer no. is no. Yeah. And then I what was know. your role in crafting the Title IX policy that went into effect in August of 2015? Uh, a review and approval uh, role. Uh, it came out of uh, the Title IX office. It came uh, out of our Office of General Counsel, uh, and we had outside counsel uh, advising us. So uh, review and approval. Did, did you have a role, am I remembering correctly, please forgive me, I'm not an expert on this. Sure. Did you have a role at the end of the adjudication process as far as the Title IX policy went, like a presidential backstop? Basically, you had the ability to be the last word on the subject? Yes, under our procedures, the appeal from an uh, adverse adjudication, for either the complainant or the respondent, uh, goes to the office of the president. How often did you uh, have to activate that role? I had a number of uh, cases, I would say, uh, in all six or seven during this last 12-month uh, yeah. uh, 12 cycle, and which seemed like a lot because they're very difficult right. cases, uh, extraordinarily sensitive cases and not atypically. First of all, I want to emphasize, every case I saw involved off-campus yep. and it also involved the excessive use of alcohol. And that is in the area when we want to look forward, the reporters would do well to say, okay, what can we do about this culture, which has been the subject of novels, see Tom Wolfe's novel and so forth, of binge drinking. It is happily less prevalent at Baylor, yep. but it exists. We have 16,000 students. And my encouragement to, to students is 
don't go to these off-campus parties. Just don't go to them. I wish we could shut them all down, or my successor could just shut them all down. To this presidential backstop thing quickly, of the six or so you said in the last 12 months, um, were they all cases in which you reduced the sanction? Were they all cases in no. which you left the sanction in place? Were there different outcomes? Different outcomes. Different outcomes, okay. I'm sorry, I have a light in my face, but You're I see totally somebody there. Hi, yes. my name's Justin Atkinson. I'm a student here at UT Austin. Yes. The Pepper Hamilton report said that the administration had a limited understanding of how policies regarding extramarital sex affected the dynamics of interpersonal violence. How do you think those policies affect this conversation, the culture at Baylor, a lot of those different pieces of that conversation? Well, one of the beauties of American higher education is that we can, in fact, identify who we are. Not everyone needs to be St. Edwards. Not everyone needs to be the University of Texas. Not everyone needs to be Austin Community College. And we are who we are. And we are able to hold up uh, our, our values. Uh, and we make it very clear that these are our values. And we also say, let he or she without sin cast the first stone. So we understand a caring community. But those are our standards. And we do not uh, in any way apologize for those standards. And I have no idea. You would need a sociologist, it seems to me. You would need social science to say what kind of causative uh, effect uh, uh, is there. But everyone knows when they come to Baylor University that we hold up a very high and traditional standard that's Orthodox Christian doctrine. It's also uh, Orthodox Jewish doctrine. It's part of the historic uh, tenets of, of uh, the faith. So if that's not the kind of value system that you want, then there are many other universities and colleges that uh, don't have any such uh, But I think what you are uh, echoing is the perspective of a very secular viewpoint that says religious institutions just should face reality. And I disagree with that. We should be able to say this is who we are. We will fall short of those uh, frequently, uh, but we have both freedom of religion in this country and freedom of association. Uh, and so I hope there will continue to be St. Edwards's, just as there will continue to be Austin College and, and uh, Southwestern, and, and as well as our great state universities as well. Good. And so that's, that's, that's the key. Maintain diversity of intellectual, including moral standards. Ma'am. Good morning, Judge Starr. My name is Landon Winston. I'm actually one of a, a recent grad of Baylor University. Um, and as a student who graduated recently, grateful for your leadership and Art Briles as well um, during my time there. Just wanted to say that. Almost exactly a year ago, the Texas Tribune published an article where the opening line was, more than 18% of female undergraduates at the University of Texas at Austin and about 15% at Texas A&M say they have been sexually assaulted since arriving on campus. With that in mind, why do you think Baylor was the one that got crucified for this specific? <laughs> I'll leave that to the feverish uh, imaginations, but there is a huge cultural and societal problem uh, of interpersonal violence. Whether the numbers are, as the federal government has said, the president has embraced the percent the number of 20 percent one in five of young women uh, faced during the course of her time in college a case uh, or a situation of interpersonal violence I don't know how to gauge that or to measure that what I do know is every institution has to struggle with all this and because unfortunately of the Sam Ukawachu case with the misreporting by ESPN what was an issue that we need, a set of issues we needed to take care of, we have uh, seen, I think, 
consequences that are really very unfortunate for Baylor, but the good news is Baylor remains very strong. Um, you know, I have a question from the depths of my feverish imagination, Judge Story. <laughs> I'm sorry to declare it. Is, the, vivid, is, vivid. is the implication of your comment that somehow Baylor was targeted because it is a community of faith and secular institutions that may have the same or greater problems were not targeted because they're secular? I'm not making, I'm just responding to what I heard. Well, but you a, mentioned the feverish, I mean, you mentioned the feverish imagination. It seems like you have a thought about why this may be. I think that Baylor is held to a very high standard. And so if there is a departure or a perceived departure from those standards, we're going to be uh, sought out. I will also say that uh, the university has enjoyed many successes, including athletic success. By the way, the football team has one of the highest graduation rates, if not the highest graduation rates, and GPAs uh, in, th in the Big 12. That's part of the culture. And this huge narrative, which created such a distorted picture, was just so unfair to the university. Uh, but others got to be picked on uh, from time to time, or, or chosen, shall I say. I get it. I think we'll have time for maybe one or two more at most, but let me go ahead and take one right there. Yeah, Judge, my name is David Wiley, and my uh, daughter uh, has two degrees from Baylor, so I'm a Baylor parent. Um, I, and thank you for being here. I, I'll give you an attaboy for that one. Um, I don't know if you've been around a locker room or a coaching staff before, but they share everything. They know about their kids. They know about everything. So I'm kind of curious as how Art Bryles can get fired, yet all the coaches have no knowledge of any of this and the assistant coaches all kept their jobs. That seems a bit curious to me, and I think it may go back to this idea that there's no written report, so we have no idea who's held accountable. So it appears to the general public that the Board of Regents knew this was gonna be bad, didn't wanna have a written report, so it was kind of a beginning of a, either a cover-up or a whitewash of the facts. And so at the end of the, your presentation, I'm not sure who's at fault here because you, you don't know the facts. Art Browse is a great guy. Who's, who's, who's responsible? What, what, and, and what do we do about that? Well, I want to see justice done eventually. So I'm just thankful that uh, folks are, are interested and concerned and are saying, were the right people held accountable and so forth. I have great confidence in yep. the Board of Regents. I just disagree with them. I'm not criticizing them. Uh, in no way disparaging the Board of Regents. So just honest people can have differences of opinion in what is in fact in the best interest of the university. I'm a transparency and sunshine guy. Uh, but these are all questions, the kind of question that you just raised are questions that are being asked throughout Baylor Nation and I hope that we can bring this to, to resolution. The good news is uh, Baylor is doing extremely well this year and the faculty is in a very, very good place. There's concern, needless to say. You, you sense sure. that some of the fog has lifted? Yeah, oh yeah. I, I, I think the fog was, we, you're never immune on campus, but the campus, when you look at what happened this summer in terms of the size of the entering class and so forth, and the makeup of the interesting, and to me one of the great indicators of a healthy institution, when I came on board, yeah. we had 20% out of state I said, that's great, and every, all 50 states are represented, but we need more of a balance in the student body. We're very proud of our diversity, uh, but let's, let's work on having more students from out of state. Well, one would think, in light of all of the ESPN-generated publicity, that there would be 
shall I say, a chilling effect. None whatsoever applications remain strong. Now, why is that? It's because our young people communicate with one another, right? right. They know one another and they go on social media and say, is this a place where I'm safe? And of course it is. We're now working, the other thing is I would just say, one of the things that we were not doing well in higher education is bystander intervention. What I now know from reading the records of different appeals is bystanders could have stopped these episodes from happening. So if you see something, say something, essentially. Get involved. There it is. Yeah. TSA and Homeland Security, the, right. the same thing. And so uh, I think the nation has learned. I, I could look back and say, yes, we should have done more on bystander intervention. Right. Uh, and that, I think, is happening, not just at Baylor, but around the country. Hopefully, we'll see a subsidence or a, a diminution in these horrible acts that leave people so victimized, as well as people whose lives are ruined, and perhaps unfairly. Okay, that's got to be where we ended, and that's a, a, a point that I think we, yes? Marie Cox. Anna Marie Cox, NTD Oh, hi, News. Anna. Okay, go ahead, Anna. Go ahead. Last question. Thanks. Um, I hardly know where to begin, honestly. I guess I should thank you for being here, but um, I'm appalled. I'm appalled at what you've said today. Um, I'm appalled at you saying that Art Bryles is the real victim here. Um, I'm appalled at your lack of curiosity, apparently, about what's going on at your own university. Did far beyond the football team, from what I can tell, the reports that I've read that you say that you're just finding out now. I mean, you keep saying, well, I'm not privy to, I don't know the stories. Given your history, like, your lack of curiosity is really astonishing to me. I mean, you were willing to diagnose a culture of binge drinking, but not a culture of sexual assault. Really? Do you want to, I mean, Anna, I'm happy to have you ask a question, or we could just have I guess fun. what I want to say yeah. is that, um, Okay, uh, what do you think uh, other, you, you know, you say you wish you had known more. Okay, fine. Um, what is the program that you would uh, advise other university presidents? Should they just, should they go ahead and investigate, even if they don't think that their university has this problem, which you say you don't think yours did, apparently there were some problems. Right. I mean, should you just maybe just not assume that there's no problem and no, proceed? No, what, what no. is the, good question, what is the prescription for Baylor or for other universities based on what you know? Well, uh, first of all, uh, if you look at the record of what we did and when we did it, you can disagree with uh, what we did, but I think that we responded all along the way in a reasonable fashion uh, to the information that was, uh, that was uh, coming to us or that we were otherwise just generally aware of. My advice is, that we need to focus hard, in addition to protecting our students, every president should be concerned about protecting our students. Uh, and that is paramount. We've got to create this loving, caring environment where people not only feel safe, but they feel empowered to become uh, themselves, uh, that all that uh, they can be. My specific point would be, we need to steep ourselves in the policies of uh, uh, OCR and to make sure that when the, after we've done everything we can to prevent these horrible things from happening and responding well, that we have a procedural mechanism in place that really does achieve the goals that were set forth by OCR in the April 4, 2011 letter. Uh, and those goals are the efficient and equitable resolution of these disputes. I don't believe we have that now across the nation. And courts are beginning to step in, and that will be an interesting uh, area for uh, future reporting, 
the current system in American higher education is driven by OCR is being found faulty by fair-minded judges, including this opinion that I mentioned by the Second Circuit Court of Appeals in New York is really quite stinging to the procedural mechanisms put in place by one particular university, which is a great university. We're all struggling with it. And to uh, be as thoughtful as we can in fashioning a regime that's fair to, to everyone, but also uh, responsive, of course, to the victims. Judge, thank you. Audience, thank you very much. Appreciate you being here. We'll see you again. Thanks very much.